We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah. I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the new Warner Brothers and DC film Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix as the villain Joker and directed by Todd Phillips. Uh, Mike, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the movie? Sure. So the movie uh, follows a character played by Joaquin Phoenix uh, named Arthur Fleck, uh, who, uh, of course, uh, eventually becomes the uh, the eponymous character, the the uh, the famous Batman villain Joker. Of course, Batman uh, does not feature in this movie. This is an origin story of Joker meant to stand up in its own right. Uh, in a sense, it's really you know the the comic book nature of it, the the fact that he is this famous. Uh, comic book villain is really secondary in a lot of ways. It is uh, a, a character study uh, that uh, Todd Phillips is engaged in, a study about um, about mental illness, um, about uh, uh, social pressure, about uh, you know the as uh, the Joker character says, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker character says in um, the Dark Knight, which is uh, probably you know uh, still the the portrayal of Joker that looms large over every other portrayal of the Joker uh, in recent memory. Uh, uh, he Ledger's character says in that movie, you know, madness um, sometimes just takes a little push. Uh, and so that's really the question at the core of this Joker is what drives uh, someone, uh, uh, you know, mild mannered uh, guy with, with, uh, with, with a, a troubled life uh, over the edge into uh, madness, into into uh, super villainy, uh, and that's uh, really what the the movie is exploring. So it follows uh, Arthur Fleck, who is a uh, struggling clown for hire uh, with uh, with a uh, mental uh, with mental illness. Um, he has a tick of sorts, sort of like a Tourette's like condition, uh, where he uh, nervously laughs at uh, uh, inopportune moments. He even has a card that he carries around with him uh, to explain to people that he's not uh, laughing. He just has this condition that makes him laugh. Um, and he uh, ends up, uh, uh, he, he struggles in his uh, career as a clown for hire. He lives in a rat's nest apartment with his uh, with his mother, uh, and he is he's always aspired to be a comedian. Uh, but uh, as you might imagine, uh, that uh, his uh, attempts to become a comedian in the movie um, do not uh, uh, do not end up very well. Uh, he uh, he, he uh, sort of falls on his face, as it were, um, in trying to uh, pursue that career path. Um, and so he's a person with with uh, with mental illness mounting uh, personal and financial uh, difficulties, uh, who is bullied and harassed by people throughout his life, who is, uh, as he perceives it, uh, picked on by the, by the, both the weaker people in society, you know, street punks, um, and also the stronger people in society, the wealthy 
um, of Gotham who really kind of just either ignore him or see him as a punching bag. Uh, and, uh, and so at, at some point, uh, over the course of, uh, the movie, uh, he, his, his madness kind of grows and then he ultimately, uh, snaps and, uh, and, and becomes, uh, the, uh, the Joker that, uh, that we know from, from comic books. So, um, the movie really raises a lot of questions, um, about, uh, a number of issues, you know, one, um, the, uh, the, the responsibility uh, within a society of, um, of, of any one member of society uh, feeling um, cast aside and uh, left out and, and picked on. It raises issues about bullying. It raises issues about gun control. It raises issues about mental illness. Um, it raises issues about uh, um, how we view uh, wealth and status uh, and the connection between those uh, values and uh, politics and leadership, um, and the the larger context in which the movie comes in, um, which is you know a lot of the conversation about it, uh, is uh, are questions about whether uh, it is responsible, whether a filmmaker needs to be responsible uh, for for creating a movie that celebrates a, a violent criminal uh, in this way. It's not the first time that this conversation has has come up about a Hollywood movie. Lots of comparisons have been drawn. Uh, to this movie and the famous Martin Scorsese film Taxi Driver. Um, and, uh, you know, but you could also draw connections to, say, like Bonnie and Clyde and things like that, that, that uh, have, you know, villains or antiheroes as their central figures, central characters, and whether or not um, uh, these movies inspire uh, violence, uh, in, you know, in, uh, um, and whether filmmakers have a responsibility, whether artists have a responsibility uh, not to glorify uh, something that um, uh, that we would not like to see replicated within within our society, or whether uh, whether art can stand on its own and not uh, and not be a cultural influence. And I think that that's a, a major question that the that the that the movie raises. So we want to dig into all of these. I think Jesse, what what um, what stuck out to me about this movie um, is if you you know th there's there's a lot that can be said about its portrayal of mental illness. Uh, and uh, and a lot that can be said about uh, its analysis of the origin of the Joker. But what struck me about it, and maybe this is the lens, just the maybe the moral or political lens that I uh, bring to a, a piece of art like this. But what struck me about it is that um, that Joker would not have become Joker in the movie if he didn't have access to weapons. And and I wonder if you could uh, reflect on that. Is is what you think the uh, relationship is between um, uh, mass violence, like we see in our society? Right, because in some ways this film is meant to be a commentary on our world. The mass, you know, ma mass shootings um, that uh, are all too prevalent nowadays. Uh, between that and um, and access to weapons or is it uh, as as a lot of people try to portray it is it really you know a mental illness question or is it both in some way yeah uh it's it's a challenging question and um society was really split on this film even before it was released i think critics found it to be pretty divisive part of that has to do with uh, our own recent memory um following the release of uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Right. Uh, 
There was a terrible shooting in Aurora, Colorado, where the uh, mass murderer dressed up as Joker um, and began shooting during one of the film's uh, showings at a movie theater there. Uh, And it was a real concern that such a film would celebrate terrorism, domestic terrorism, and shows the villain uh, in a heroic light in the way that... Um, those in society who have felt uh, pushed aside or forgotten end up donning clown masks and celebrating Joaquin Phoenix's Joker in this film, are we running the risk of these terrible acts being celebrated as well? I mean, we see that in our own political climate of, um, you know, when you have somebody who is able to latch on to somebody else's fears and feelings. Uh, You create your base that way. Um, And the real question is, are we, is this person at fault? Are we at fault? Or are we as society at fault um, because of the, the weapons that, um, uh, that Arthur Fleck used as Joker to, uh, for his reign of terror towards the end of the film. Um, we do something at our synagogue at Congregation Bethel in South Orange during the High Holy Days uh, that we call Three Pillars, based on the idea that the world rests on these uh, uh, three pillars, on Torah, Abudah, and Gimilut Chasadim, on learning, on prayer, and on acts of justice. And um, in addition to learning and tefillah that took place during our holidays, we also had different social justice uh, opportunities going on. And one of the things that we do uh, did, uh, using the words of the Unetanatokeh of who shall live and who shall die, um, we organized a modern-day memorial for victims of gun violence at the front of our building, um, tying orange ribbons to a tree really at the front of entrance of our building. This beautiful green tree is now covered in orange ribbons. Each attached to each ribbon are, is a date and statistic of a uh, mass shooting in our country over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, over 30,000 uh, people are victims of gun violence every year. And it's really a problem in our own country. Uh, we could say that you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. I think that's the the lobbying and talking point of the NRA. But when we make it so easily accessible for people to acquire guns, um, that is is really the problem. Arthur Fleck first uh, gets his hands on a gun um, when his friend, who he ends up killing, spoiler alert, uh, Randall. Um, gives him a a gun, hands him the gun because he was being bullied. Um, And I think we see too often these uh, loopholes in our system where people acquire guns uh, when they shouldn't and use those guns uh, to do harm. I mean, there was also a debate, uh, the most recent Democratic presidential debate just happened, and there was a debate over... um, the candidates with gun violence and assault weapon bans um, are, and I believe personally that there are certain guns that are on our streets, certain weapons that are have no place in society and have no place um, on our streets. There is a teaching in Masechet Shabbat um, that specifically talks about whether you could carry on Shabbat 
uh, which you're prohibited from doing. And when you can't carry, you wear certain objects as clothing um, and so that you aren't carrying them, rather you're wearing them. And it talks about the weapon. It talks about a sword. And it says you're prohibited from wearing a sword, even though you wouldn't be carrying it, because um, it's a disgrace. It, 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 there's nothing sacred about it, and you shouldn't be uh, carrying it uh, or even wearing it on the Holy Sabbath. And I think that really speaks to the ideal when it comes to these weapons when it comes to our obsession society's obsession with guns it's that we should fulfill our, our uh, prophetic goal of beating um, our swords into plowshares um, that we should get to a place where uh, we have no purpose for guns in society and I think I think part of what this movie is telling us is that the more easily accessible guns are, the more that somebody who wants to do harm can do harm on others. Right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so interesting, right? Like, when I saw that scene of, uh, of Arthur Fleck's uh, colleague giving him a gun, I thought, to my, it thought in my head, I was, like, I was like, that's really, you know, that's a straw purchase, right? Or, you know, which is a, which is a term used for uh, somebody who's uh, legally able to purchase a gun, goes in and buy a gun, but then turns around and sells it to somebody who's not legally able to purchase a gun, um, or a, or a gun show loophole, which is you know uh, something that um, uh, you know uh, enables people to, who otherwise wouldn't be able to buy a gun or not as easily able to buy a gun um, or certain kinds of guns to be able to do so um, at, uh, at at gun shows uh, when they when they wouldn't have been able to in gun shops, right? And so here's a situation where you know the the uh, the the murder weapon that uh, that. Uh, Arthur Fleck that Joker uses throughout the movie um, is one that's just you know that's just handed to him, um, and it uh, and it speaks to um, the accessibility and prevalence of, of guns, right? If that if that pivotal scene had not had happened, um, it's questionable with how the movie would have proceeded, right? How Joker would have been would have been Joker would he have bought his own guns? You know, he he sort of descends into madness in a, in a way um, after his first killing. He kind of feels the power of that. Um, and the um, and the uh, uh, and, and the notoriety of it, um, and feels like he's you know finally made his mark on the world, um, which is another piece of this, uh, Jesse, that that I think is worth our talking about. I mean, I think that um, this is true, uh, and you alluded to this. This is true of gun violence. It's also true of of uh, the you know anti uh, anti Semitic um, and uh, uh, xenophobic Islamophobic attacks. Uh, that we've seen in, in recent years, um, how there's a, a copycat effect um, of them. And, and also um, what, what I think is consistent amongst at least many of them is the desire of the assailant to, um, uh, to, uh, to seek fame in that way, right? To get notoriety in that way, right? That they, you know, they, they, may, they may believe that they're going to die, but at least in, in carrying out the act, but at least they'll have... Uh, died in in a way that makes a name for themselves right so you saw that you know the guy who just uh um uh, tried to commit an anti-semitic attack on a synagogue in Halle, germany ended up killing two people um outside the synagogue um you know wanted to live stream the whole thing because you you know this is it was not only ideological uh but also um a a pursuit of of celebrity in some way, right? And um, and you saw that in in Pittsburgh, and you saw that in Christchurch, and in in Poway. There's an and and you see it. You, I think it was also true 
of the shooting that you alluded to in Aurora, Colorado, during the the uh, premiere of The Dark Knight Rises um, in Las Vegas. I mean, you can name it on and on and on. And you know, one of the common threads of some of these you know mass killing incidents um, is a, uh, a a desire of the perpetrator to uh, to to achieve celebrity through the act. And there's, there's I think, a, a sense, we've talked about this before, you know, some of the other um, pieces of pop culture that we've, that we've talked about, the Righteous Gemstones, this is prevalent in it, uh, it's a theme in it, and, um, uh, 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 and some of the other things that we've discussed, um, how we live in a culture that celebrates celebrity, right? And that's, this is true for everybody, right? This, is, this in, in some ways explains or helps explain the, uh, the allure of social media, and the alienation of social media, the sense that like nothing I do is worthwhile unless lots of people watch it, know about it, and celebrate it. And so it, I think, uh, creates a tendency to say, well, I'm going to do the thing that will give me the most attention. There's a, a, a teaching in Pirkei Avot that says, uh, um, he who seeks fame destroys his name. Um, that, uh, that, uh, that really the, you know, the people who, who pursue celebrity for celebrity's sake, um, may end up achieving infamy, but almost always, uh, do things that aren't really worthy of celebrity. They are just things that happen to get attention, which means, you know, they, they tend to be, now some of those things may be relatively innocuous. Like you make, you make a fool of yourself on reality TV or, you know, you uh, might, you know, break the internet with a picture of your butt, right? But, um, uh, but some of those things are, are incredibly, incredibly dangerous. You can get a big audience if you live stream an anti-Semitic attack. Um, and, uh, and, and it's a really, really troubling uh, feature of, of our contemporary culture. I think that the Jewish tradition uh, more readily says... You know, in a culture, this is the countercultural, even though it was ahead of its ahead of its time in a way of, of suggesting this, that um, that that we should not be focused on making a name for ourselves because inevitably what we will do are um, are things that destroy our reputation or destroy other people in in the in pursuit of doing that. We should focus not we should be focused not on being great, but on being good. Right? Heschel said. Be, you know, be mindful that every little deed counts. Abraham, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, a great 20th century rabbi, said, you know, what's the message you want to give to young people? He said that um, uh, be mindful that every little deed counts, right? We're, we're so often not mindful of that. We believe that the only deeds that count are the ones that get us the most attention. Uh, and uh, what, what Heschel reminds us, speaking for a, a vast trove of Jewish tradition, says, no. The things that matter are not necessarily the things that get you attention, but the things that uh, that that spread even a little bit of of holiness, righteousness, justice in the world. And I think we um, are at fault. Uh, media is at fault. Social media is at fault. The way uh, journalists investigate the lives of murderers of these mass shootings perpetrators of these mass shootings uh speaks to why there's this copycat effect and fear of this copycat effect and people will think they'll be remembered they'll be celebrated i remember um after the the tree of life shooting in squirrel hill anderson cooper 
uh, devoted a week long of shows. He said, we're not going to talk about the murderer. We're going to develop the, these and dedicate these shows to telling you more about the lives of the victims. That's who we should remember, and that's who we want to remember, because I think you're right. People are so concerned and interested with celebrity status, it doesn't matter why you're being celebrated. And I think we see that with uh, politicians uh, you know, now as well. Uh, any news is good news. As long as you're in the headlines and people are talking about you, it's better than people not talking about you at all. And that's what we ultimately see with Joaquin Phoenix's character, that um, as a failed stand-up comic, he ends up realizing, oh, he becomes successful and popular because the film clips of his failed stand-up routines that uh, are initially made fun of on um, nighttime uh, talk shows and that sort of thing uh, make him famous. And he's happy to be famous, even if it's because people are ridiculing him at first, right. than to not be remembered and famous a a at all. Um, but I also wonder, you know, what it speaks to our responsibility as society, this idea of him being bullied by so many, by being made fun of, and do we have a responsibility in the way that we treat people and the way we treat each other? Um, are we at fault um, when somebody acts in a certain way um, because of our actions or because of our, our words, because we treat other people or because we inspire other people? You know, there's this claim, especially uh, by some political leaders who spew hate that they aren't responsible for anybody else's actions, even if they know that their words have influence because hateful words lead to hateful actions. Um, what do you think about that, Mike? I, I think that you, you raised a lot of really, really good points. You know, we, uh, we just had uh, here in Richmond, um, Deborah Lipstadt come and speak to our Jewish community, uh, who uh, uh, is a Holocaust uh, scholar at Emory University and just wrote a book uh, called Anti-Semitism Here and Now. And she pointed out the fact that, you know, that, uh, um, that when we talk about uh, the proliferation of anti-Semitism, um, you know, it's easy to focus on, on violent acts of anti-Semitism, uh, but it's much more important to uh, focus on on words because uh, you know uh, virtually every instance in history of uh, of, of anti-Semitic violence began as uh, as anti-Semitic rhetoric and anti-Semitic words. And she pointed out the fact that uh, on Yom Kippur uh, we list out uh, all of the transgressions that we uh, as individuals or we as a community have participated in and the vast majority of them are crimes of speech uh and she said you know the reason for that is um that uh, that that um uh, much of uh, uh the the evil that we put out into the world as individuals or as uh, as a collective uh, have to do with the words that come out of our mouths um which uh, which can have a uh, a corrosive and calcifying effect um, on on the rest of society. So um, so I think that that's that's really important. Now I I will say that in Joker um, that doesn't really strike me as the as the message that the that the the point the movie was trying to make. You know, such as it is, I'm not positive that the movie really had such a clear message. Um, but but I but I do think that um, that there was a a line being drawn between 
bullying and uh, and the you know and and uh, you know, which you know being responsible right how we treat other people uh, being responsible for the um, uh, for the for the you know violence that they commit you know that's not a new comment you know uh, Pearl Jam. Uh, talked about that you know, 20 years ago in the song Jeremy. You know, Jeremy, this kid from Eddie Vedder's class who uh, was uh, um, uh, bullied and uh, and then killed himself uh, in 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 his classroom. Right, so we've been talking about this for a long time. How um, how bullying has a, a, a an incredibly harmful impact on the person who is bullied um, and can potentially you know, drive people over the edge to do, um, to do really terrible things them, themselves. Um, and, and I think that, you know, one of the things that was evident in, in Joker is that the, the society that Todd Phillips was depicting was one in which, uh, bullying was, uh, was, was tolerated, right? That nobody is around, uh, to, uh, to, uh, stop, uh, or to speak out, against uh people taking advantage of and preying on the weak um and in some ways you know that's what sparks the um uh the the you know the the sort of uh social movement that takes place during the course of of joker of people who perceive themselves to be you know weak and and disadvantaged and disenfranchised trying to rise up against those who are more powerful who prey on them um, so I think that that's a, um, a really interesting conver- a really interesting uh, issue that that Joker raises. I'm, I'm not exactly sure um, if it offers a, a useful solution for us. I don't know what you think about that, Jesse. No, I'm not sure it does either. I think you're right that the society of Gotham City in the film is one where many feel uh, disenfranchised. Many are... Um, uh, poor, many are dependent on uh, social welfare. Um, it's also one, as you said, that um, people feel ignored. Um, there's one where there's a lot of violence and nobody minds. It's only once it gets to a certain level that all of a sudden people start noticing. And it's a real question of what does that say about us? Um, right. And our own society that we only care about things when it gets to a certain level. Um, there, there's a, a really um, powerful organization, Sandy Hook Promise, mm-hmm. which was started by uh, parents who lost children in the uh, Sandy Hook shooting in, in Newtown, Connecticut, um, who lost you know their their young babies, uh, those who are in kindergarten and first grade, and. They believe that the answer was not to deal with uh, gun violence and to deal with um, the selling of these weapons uh, of war, uh, but instead to see the signs early. And they have really powerful PSA videos that they put out. Um, But the idea is that if you see somebody being bullied at an early age, if you see somebody feeling alone, if you see somebody who is saying things or doing things that are red flags or or troubling, don't let it slide because you never know what that will lead to. And I sort of wonder, not just as you said, Mike, if uh, Arthur Fleck's friend never gave him this gun, would he have thought, what can I do with this? Or, you know, when he first kills these three uh, uh, guys on the train, 
who worked uh, for Wayne Enterprises and who were bullying him in, in his clown costume. The first two seemed maybe in self-defense, and the third was really an execution. Um, would he have gone down this road of killing more people? Uh, I'm not sure, but if we could stop people at an earlier age and at an earlier stage and see the signs, are we able to prevent things uh, before it's too late? Or do we only as a society react? Are we not proactive? Are we only reactive? Um, you know, the Talmud also teaches that if we see something going on in our own homes and, and, uh, we aren't able to erase it. If there's an avera, if there's a, a terrible thing, and, and we aren't able to stop it or don't do anything to stop it, then it's as if it, it that we are guilty of it happening. If we see something going on in our own towns and we don't do anything to stop it, it's as if we're guilty of uh, doing it ourselves. And if we see something going on in the world and society as a whole and we don't do anything uh, to stop it, to prevent it, uh, then again, it's on us. And so I think there's a part of this that is sort of on us, those who are in positions of power. And again, I, I think they were intentionally um, portrayed this way. Thomas Wayne was the billionaire who was uh, running for mayor. Um, this is the first depiction which links him to Joker, that it's not just an innocent killing of the Wayne family by some uh, thug in the streets, but his killing and murder of the Wayne family is really associated with Joker's right. rise to power as a villain. Um, if we did more, and if those in positions of power did more to really stop things at a uh, lesser stage, would we be able to prevent things from escalating and getting to where they were, where you have a city full of uh, people who felt disenfranchised, who now wearing clown masks are empowered to commit crimes and do violent acts themselves. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's such a good point. And that I think, you know, uh, uh, such as it is, that really kind of cuts to the, the social commentary that, that Joker was making because, you know, here, you know, the depiction of Thomas Wayne uh, in the, in the film is that he's, you know, he's, he's regarded as a, 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 by at least the, you know, by the political class and by the, People of many of people in Gotham uh, and uh, and by the media as a you know a, a good altruistic guy you know one of the good guys and he sees himself as somebody who is you know is the savior of the disadvantaged and marginalized in Gotham uh, but clearly you know uh, uh, there are the 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 people on the street see him differently right and I think that the social commentary there for us you know, I remember. You know, um, it, you know, after after Trump was elected, there was there was all sorts of, um, you know, soul searching and political commentary happening because nobody expected Trump to uh, win. And they, you know, just then they and, and the kind of consensus was, you know, Trump spoke to um, a uh, marginalized, disaffected class of people who uh, have felt ignored and belittled uh, by the system for too long, and they rebelled by um, by you know putting their fate in the in in the hands of a man they didn't really understand, you know, or they you know, but that they believed at the very least would 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 send a middle finger to the establishment, um, and, uh, and and so I think that that was you know some of the dynamic that Phillips was exploring here is uh, is. You know, these people like like Arthur Fleck, who have felt, you know, uh, bruised and broken and belittled and cast aside by the system, um, 
they, they may not have a plan for how they want to fix things, but they know that the establishment um, are their target because they haven't because um, they haven't done enough for them, and so they're they're uh, sending middle finger to them, and and uh, you know in this case with with a bullet, um, and, you know so um, it, it's it it's I think a really uh, significant challenge to those leaders and uh, and 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 politicians who um, who actually you know do care. Right. To be able to say, you know, to what extent um, are you um, identifying with and seeing the pain of people who do feel invisible and cast aside, um, who do feel broken by the system, who do feel ignored? Um, and what are you going to do about uh, about their pain? Because otherwise, you know, they're likely to to uh, to to turn to um less, let's say, less, less productive solutions uh, to make their voices heard. Um, and so I think that that was a... a turn to hate dynamic. and turn to violence. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that that was a major dynamic at play in, in Joker. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I don't want to jump ahead in the storyline since um, this is really a standalone movie and not part of the DC Extended Universe. Um, and so we don't know what will come next for this story and this iteration of Joker. Um, it's interesting. Todd Phillips wanted to go this route. He's uh, most well known for comedies for the hangover trilogy for old school for road trip. And he went through this dark route um, using the graphic novel, Batman, the killing joke as an inspiration before that Joker was almost a silly villain. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the origin story in the comic books for those who are comic book readers, the origin story is that he fell in a vat of chemicals which permanently dyed his hair green and his lips bright red and his skin this pale white um, it's only the Killing Joke graphic novel that introduced this idea that um, he was a failed stand-up comic that um, was made fun of and so he ended up being this this villain um, so I just, problem... just, just want to like uh, uh, go uh nerd rage on you a little bit uh for that because uh there are multiple origin stories offered uh throughout the history of the character in the comics um and there's there's not one in particular that's canon um and um uh the dark knight uh heath ledger's joker plays on that ambiguity of the origins of his character and you know part of the comment the dark knight was making is that origin stories are are themselves a joke Right, or they're, they're themselves the joke that the Joker makes uh, in the in 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 the um, in that movie, which is I think also worth exploring. Is you know, um, to what extent do we uh, rely on origin stories as explanations for current behavior? No, I, I think I think that's fair. Um, I was only making the point that well, there are multiple origin stories. Um, the original origin story was this idea of the Joker falling in a vat, and it seemed sort of silly. Uh, it wasn't as dark as this one. Um, I, I know you're much more of a Batman fan than I am. I'm more of a Marvel guy. You like DC. Um, I I always dc always sort of rubbed me the wrong way since uh the batman comics always seems pretty dark um but i think my problem although uh we we don't see batman in this 
uh, in this film, we see a, a, a there's a short window where we see um, Thomas's son Bruce, um, but the, this is long before Batman exists. It's only once crime gets to a certain point that all of a sudden Batman comes to save Gotham. And again, it speaks to this idea that everybody, including those in positions of power, those um, who had the ability to do things, were content with the way society was. Um, with so many feeling disenfranchised. And it's only once the scale gets tipped that all of a sudden we feel like we have to do something. Um, and I, I'm concerned that we are often uh, dealing with that in our in our own world, in our own society, that there are always those who are the most vulnerable. And it's only once uh, uh, an extreme case happens that that is brought to light and others see it and then they want to make change. Um, right. Where when it's not brought to light, when it's not this big major deal, we go about with our privilege, our daily lives and uh, really don't think twice about it. Right. You know, it's, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it back to that point because, you know, I think one of the things that the, the, that Joker brings up is, you know, there, there is, you know, a semblance of a social safety net in Gotham, uh, toward the beginning of the movie. Joker meets with a, uh, with a, with a social worker who, you know, is not the most empathetic listener, but at least is something, Right. And then at some point, uh, her, you know, her whole department's funding gets cut. And so he doesn't have any uh, support network uh, anymore whatsoever. After that, he, you know, he stops. uh, He stops taking his medication at some point. It's unclear in the movie whether uh, he can no longer afford it or whether he stops getting prescribed it because he doesn't have access to the to the medical care. Right. In other words, you know, the um, you know, the the, uh, Joker leaves us with the impression that not only are people enraged at the system but that in some ways their rage at the system is justified because the system has broadly speaking failed them um and i think that that is in some ways an indictment of of our own society i mean the fact that there are people in the margins the fact that there are people who slip through the cracks of the social safety net the fact that there are people who get cancer and then go bankrupt the fact that there are people who have mental illness uh but are stigmatized bullied um and don't have access to care the fact that there are mass shootings and then politicians you know uh, offer their thoughts and prayers and blame it on mental illness but do nothing to help people with mental illness right that um is a is a is a wide-scale indictment of of our own society i mean the, i think that's where jewish tradition um is really um really radical about this right that we that we have a broad responsibility the you know the, the book of uh, deuteronomy says there shall be no needy among you right you you have a responsibility to make sure that everyone however marginal however vulnerable is cared for in in, in the society uh, in later Jewish law there is a an incredibly robust uh, system of social welfare put in place through the institution of what we now call tzedakah, um, which we often translate as charity but is really a uh, uh, um, a, a widespread uh, tax uh, to pay for uh, necessary social services, not only food and clothing, but also uh, health care and the like. And the uh, primary use of tzedakah, the thing that trumps all other uses of the funds that go into that communal pot, um, are is pidyon shvuim, 
redeeming captives, right? And so you can make an argument that you know those who are um, who are uh, uh, beholden and, and and stuck in their in their lives, you know, people like Arthur Fleck who cannot escape the the dire conditions in which he lives um, and struggles with his mental and physical health, um, both uh, in addition to and because of those conditions, right? That is that is a uh, uh, th- that's Shuim. That person is a is a captive, um, and the and and society, broadly speaking, according to Jewish tradition, has an obligation to lift those kinds of people up. Well, I think it's also interesting, Mike. Right, you were quoting um, from Parshat Re'eh from Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter fifteen, verse four: "Ethes kilo yevechavion," that there should be no needy among you. Right. Uh, juxtapose with that three verses later. Right. In there verse will seven, always be. Right. But when there uh, is. Right. As long as there is somebody needy among you, don't close your hand or your right. heart to them. Right, right. Um, where we too often focus on getting to this place that there should be no needy among us uh, and ignore what's happening in real time, uh, the needs uh, and the disenfranchisement of, of those who are vulnerable for whatever reason. Um, not saying that there's any justification ever for somebody like Arthur Fleck to do what he does or to celebrate him. Uh, I think that was really the fear of why this movie was so divisive is that there's a fear that uh, his acts are being celebrated, not just by it being a, in a film, but that's what happens at the end of the film that all these followers end up doing acts of violence as well. Right. Doing so sort of in his image, in his name. Uh, But I think because we only get to this, uh, idea that there should be no needy among us and we don't think twice about what we do until we get to that stage we ignore all those who are vulnerable up until that point right which is why which is why the torah says in a number of places things like lotu halihitalem right you must not l- look away remain indifferent when you see uh injustice or when you see someone suffering or lota amod adamrecha you must not stand idly by the blood of your neighbor when you see someone hurt when you see someone broken when you see someone suffering uh we have uh, an obligation as individuals and as a collective uh to uh, to lift them up and i'm and there was something that you said a, a few minutes ago Jesse that that just made me wonder you know if you go if you rewind the tape on Joker, and in the scene where uh, Joker's uh, uh, colleague uh, gives him the gun because he's just been uh, attacked by uh, uh, some street hoods, um, what would have happened if that person uh, had said, "Hey, let me take you out for a cup of coffee and see how you're doing," you know, or uh, or, or let me buy you a beer? Um, like if he offered his friendship and love and concern rather than a weapon, right? How would the story have played out differently? And I think that that is also an invitation for us, right? When we see, when we see suffering, when we see injustice, when we see bullying, right? Um, uh, you know, there, there was, you know, it was like a partial concern on his part, right? He gave him something to defend himself, um, but he wasn't really concerned about uh, um, Arthur as, as a person, as a, as a human. He wasn't really present for him um, he just gave him a means of fighting back, um, which is just a, a um, and, and if we were to be able to play the, you know, create an alternative reality, right, where, where uh, he offers his friendship rather than a gun, 
um, what would the story have looked like? I think that's a really important point. It speaks to our responsibility um, to be proactive and not reactive um, to help those who are in need when we don't always know that they are in need. Um, we often only realize after the fact, um, but how can we be proactive to make them understand and make them feel that sense of community and communal support? Yeah. Well, um, I think we're... Sorry. My, my, my question for, for you, Micah, as, as we're about to wrap up, is I'm just wondering, what do you make of uh, the fact that this movie, you know, it's already grossed half a billion dollars. Uh, it set all these box office records for the month of October. Uh, it won the Golden Lion at the Venice International Film Festival. Uh, such a disturbing and divisive movie. What do we make of the fact that it's been so successful? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that there's a few things that I would say. The first is Joaquin Phoenix gives an incredible performance. He's he's electrifying. It's hard to take your eyes off of him. Um, it's interesting, you know, he spent, I, I was just thinking about this as I was watching it, that he spends, you know, half the movie dancing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, let that inspire your Simchat Torah um, as, uh, <laughs> as we move toward the holiday. And maybe people are in the dancing mood because we're in the Simchat Torah season and Sukkot season. And that's why, why they're gravitating toward it. It's also, it's beautifully shot. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that could be said that, um, that Todd Phillips, uh, whether he's making an homage to uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, or whether he's ripping off Martin Scorsese uh, and making something that's derivative of, uh, of a of, you know Taxi Driver um, uh, or and, and the like, uh, but uh, but it's just beautifully filmed and beautifully shot, and um, and it's it's well made on that score, um, and and so I think that that's uh, um, uh, something that's that that people are gravitating to. It's just a well made movie. It also has you know, has the name recognition of Joker, um, and Joker is. Um, uh, almost certainly the most famous of all comic book villains, um, and you know made even more so by the Heath Ledger performance uh, in in the Dark Knight, which earned him a posthumous honor. So I think that there's a fascination with the character, in part because um, there isn't a canonized origin story, and part of the allure of Joker and the mystery of Joker and the intrigue of Joker is how does someone become like that. Um, and so there's a, I think an attraction to the, the, the this explanation of the unexplainable um, is a, is a piece of it. But I, sure. but I, but I also think, um, and there's also, you know, comic book movies in general are having a moment. Uh, and this is a, a, a unique take on a comic book movie. We haven't really had something like this uh, before an origin story on a villain rather than origin story on a, on a hero. Um, so there's something fresh feeling fresh that feels fresh about it. Um, but I, but I do think that, you know, all of these things that we're talking about, um, uh, are, are commentaries such as they are, you know, maybe some of them land and some of them don't, uh, maybe some of them are not the kind of commentary that we would like to see, but nevertheless, they're, they're, they're meaningful and relevant commentaries on on our world today, even the mo though the movie's set in kind of a 1970s-esque New York-ish kind of place, um, you know, th there's something that feels very contemporary about the observations it's making about um, about about violence, about uh, uh, you know mental illness, about social welfare, um, about the pursuit of celebrity uh, and the like, uh, about, uh, you know, the, the responsiveness or not of the political class to the, to the plight of the, of the average, 
person. Um, there's something that feels very of the moment about it. Um, not the least of which is that, you know, arguably uh, you know, the American public um, uh, elected um, a, uh, a, 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 an, you know, a, an untested loose cannon uh, to, uh, to, to be president. Um, sure. uh, in, in, you know, potentially as a response to, you know, some of the same kind of like social conditions that, uh, that Joker observes. So whether, whether Todd Phillips, you know, the director of the hangover movies, uh, and old school, uh, makes very pointed social critique or not, the fact that this is a meditation on those social issues, um, I think is, um, is, has a real allure. And then of course, you know, once something gets buzzed about in all those ways and there's, you know, people are talking about, you know, uh, movies, uh, movie theaters banning, you know, costumes and makeup and things like that to prevent another uh, recurrence of what happened in Aurora in the uh, opening of Dark Knight Rises. You have, I think, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, um, a perfect storm of, uh, of, of interest um, that, that's generated by a movie like this. Sure. People want to see what all the fuss is about. Right. All right. Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, I think that that's all the time we have for today. So, uh, Jesse, is uh, Joker inspiring you uh, for particular dance moves for Simchat Torah? Uh, Joker is leaving me in need of a shower. It was a really disturbing film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and with a, with a lot to think about. Um, so, uh, as we uh, turn that over and over, we'll also be uh, turning... Um, our Sifrei Torah over in, in just a few days uh, and starting uh, our uh, discussion of our sacred text from the beginning. We hope that you'll stay with us as we uh, continue looking at pop culture through the lens of Judaism uh, and Judaism through the lens of pop culture with uh, the next installment of Pop Torah coming to you soon. Uh, thanks a lot, Jesse. Take care, Mike. Bye, All everyone. Right. Shana Tova. Happy New Year to everybody.